it is officially Halloween season, and you're probably pretty psyched. I know I am, and I couldn't be happier about it. I love Halloween and fall and all the candy that's about to go on sale. I realize this episode is dropping on September 30th, so we're technically still a day away from the wonderful spookiness of October, but I couldn't wait to regale you with some extra creepy history. And what is creepier than being buried alive? Nothing, really, and that's where this two-part miniseries is headed. It might not surprise you that many of the specific stories handed down throughout time about people returning from the grave after having been buried alive are apocryphal, exaggerated, or so old or obscure that we don't actually have any concrete evidence that they happened. That being said, being buried alive was a real and valid fear for a long time and did happen before we had the tools we have today to determine death. Edgar Allan Poe even wrote a short story about it, first published in a newspaper in 1844 entitled The Premature Burial. In it, the narrator grapples with an all-consuming obsessive fear of being buried alive. There are a lot of Buried Alive stories out there, and I want to talk about a few of them that we do have some evidence for. There were a lot of older legends I found that I could not verify, which bummed me out, but I did find a few for you, which we'll go over at length in part two. Today in part one, we'll discuss some of the ways we used to verify death. They were pretty creative. We'll also take a look at some very interesting, very macabre inventions we came up with to help ease our fear of being buried alive. A couple things before we get started. One, this podcast has officially been going for a year now. Actually, the History Cash Podiversary was at the end of August, but I forgot. So, happy 13 months, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I really didn't think this podcast was going to get as many listens as it has, and I am both floored and grateful that you've helped me make it what it is today. Also, a couple of you wrote in asking if there was a way to make a one-time donation to the show instead of pledging monthly to Patreon. So I've set up a PayPal account, which you can use to make a one-time donation for any amount if you'd like. You don't even have to have your own PayPal account to use it. The link can be found right under the support tab on the webpage, which is at historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Huge shout out and thank you to Phil and Jeff for being the first people to donate through that link. Every donation, no matter how big or small, is humongously appreciated. Seriously, thank you everyone for all that you do. Now... Join me for part one of this extra spooky miniseries exploring the history of being buried alive. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. Taphophobia is the fear of being buried alive and waking up inside your own coffin. 
This happened more often in centuries past, before we had the medical resources we have now to determine heart failure. According to Snopes, in 1896, a man named T.M. Montgomery, who supervised the disinterment and moving of human remains at the Fort Randall Cemetery in upstate New York, reported that nearly 2% of the bodies exhumed were no doubt victims of, quote, suspended animation, which is the temporary cessation or slowing down of most vital functions without leading to death. Mr. Montgomery was saying that people had been buried while they were still alive because they had simply appeared to be dead, so much so that a heartbeat or breathing could not be detected. Your chances of being buried alive today are so slim that it shouldn't even be a thought taking up space in your mind. It's almost impossible. But, according to forensic psychologist Dr. Katherine Ramsland, in an article for Psychology Today, there have been some close calls. She writes that in the year 2000, in Kazakhstan, a man who had been electrocuted was pronounced dead wrapped in a cloth and buried in a shallow grave. Apparently, it had to be very shallow, because that's where he stayed for two days until he came to, dug himself out of his own grave, flagged down a car and made it home in time to surprise his family at his own funeral feast. This is a fascinating account, if true, but I should say that I could not find any other article to confirm this story. If anyone out there can find one, please send it my way, because I'd love to be able to confirm this. One modern story I could confirm was that of a woman named Mildred C. Clark, who in 1994 spent upwards of 90 minutes in a body bag in the Albany Medical Center Hospital before the chief morgue attendant noticed the body bag was rising and falling rhythmically, as if someone was breathing inside. When he opened the bag, he was shocked to find an unconscious yet very much alive woman inside. The 86-year-old had been found on her living room floor and incorrectly pronounced dead. A medical team was called, Clark was immediately rushed to the hospital where she lived for another week before completely passing away. Stories like this are rare, so rare in the modern era but they are far from the only stories we have like this in history, and taphophobia has been an active fear for many throughout the centuries. Writers like Edgar Allan Poe have given it a literary stage, and escape artists like Houdini have given it a spotlight. According to Mental Floss, in 1915 in Santa Ana, California, Houdini had himself shackled, buried under six feet of earth, with no coffin protecting him from the dirt that was piled on top of him. This stunt ended up nearly killing him. He was barely able to claw his way to the surface, and some accounts say he was panicked and exhausted when he got there, just in the nick of time. Some accounts say he passed out and had to be pulled from the dirt by his assistants. Not to be outdone by taphophobia, he continued planning stunts where he would escape from a casket. There are posters that still exist advertising his buried alive stunt. In this one, he was planning an elaborate escape on stage in front of an audience. 
he would be strapped into a straitjacket, sealed inside a coffin placed inside of a large tank that was then buried in about 3,000 pounds of sand or dirt. It's debated how often Houdini actually performed this trick, or if he did at all, but it was clear he was planning for it to be the highlight of his shows in 1927, but he would never get the chance to take the stage that year because he died on Halloween night in 1926 after being repeatedly sucker-punched in the gut by a student named Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead. The blows caused peritonitis and a ruptured appendix, which resulted in sepsis while he was being treated in Detroit. All this killed the famous magician unexpectedly at the age of 52. He ended up being transported from Detroit back to New York in the very coffin he had planned on using in his act. There is a lot of controversy and speculation surrounding the death of Houdini who Whitehead really was, why he was never charged in Houdini's death, whether or not it was an accident, and whether it was really the punches that did him in or not. I'd need another entire episode to go over all of it, so I'll save that for the future. Although he was the most famous, Houdini was not the only escape artist to attempt a buried alive stunt. In 1949, escape artist Alan Allen had to be dug out of his own stunt when his assistants packed the earth too tightly around him. An account from The Independent said he was mere moments from death when they rescued him. According to the LA Times and AP News, on Halloween in 1990, magician Joseph Burris was not as lucky as his predecessors had been. He was crushed to death when the coffin he was buried in unexpectedly collapsed under the weight of dirt and wet cement that was being poured over him, which reportedly weighed around 9 tons. In 2015, according to The Guardian, escape artist Anthony Britton had to be dug out of the pit he was buried in after he failed to emerge within his 9-minute window. When rescuers reached him, he was unconscious but managed to survive with some scratches, bruises, and a cracked rib. So it's safe to say the fear of being buried alive has been in our collective conscious for a long time now. So much so that in the past we came up with all sorts of interesting ways to make sure someone was actually dead before we buried them. According to mortician, author, TED Talk host, and founder of the Ask a Mortician web series, Caitlin Doty, some of these death tests included some fairly gruesome things. So, heads up, it's about to get a little gross. Death tests included, but were not limited to, shoving needles under toenails or into the stomach, or in cases where they really wanted to be sure, directly into the heart. Slicing feet with knives or burning them with red-hot pokers was done to ensure death. Burning the hand was done too, or in some cases, even chopping off a finger was part of the death test process. If you were a drowning victim, a smoke enema could be used to wake you up. Yes, someone would literally blow smoke up your butt, usually with a billow, since that was more sanitary. This was done because it was believed that if you were really still alive, the smoke would warm you up enough to get you to breathe again. 
This is the second episode in a row that's had something weird happen with enemas. I'm sorry, they just keep popping up in the history we've been covering lately. Moving away from burns, needles, slicing, and weird butt stuff, there was even a test utilizing invisible ink made from lead acetate. The words, I am really dead, would be written in invisible ink on a sheet of paper, then put in front of the corpse's face. The inventor of this method, a French physician named Severin Icard, believed that if the body was putrefying, sulfur dioxide would be emitted and cause the message to be revealed. However, sulfur dioxide can also be emitted by a living person, like one with decaying teeth or tonsillitis. So this one was not foolproof and may have resulted in some false positives. Sometimes they'd just literally stab you in the heart. That one would probably do it. Seriously, if you have an evening free, just Google yourself into a historic death test rabbit hole. It gets weird real fast. Even with these tests, and these are just a few examples of the many, many weird things I found, accidents still happened. When coffins or mausoleums would be reopened to house another corpse, something done especially in instances of plagues, family burials, or mass deaths, corpses would be found with fingernails worn down to the nubs, clothes or wrappings awry, nail marks on coffin lids, and hands bloodied from people trying to escape their own graves. While some deterioration and shifting of a corpse, including faces contorting into frightening grimaces, are part of the natural decay process, some of the corpses uncovered over the centuries have shown undeniable signs of having been buried alive. Naturally, this freaked people out. But we humans are creatures of ingenuity, and we quickly came up with ways to give the prematurely buried a means of escape. The construction of safety coffins was one way we dealt with our fear of being buried alive. According to the Vintage News, there were dozens of patents for safety coffins, 30 in Germany in the second half of the 19th century, and 22 in the U.S. between 1868 and 1925 alone. The first safety coffin we have on record seems to be one invented by Duke Ferdinand of Brunswick around 1792. It had a window that allowed light inside, as well as a tube that provided a fresh air supply. Instead of having a lid that was nailed down, the Duke had a lock fitted and two keys sewn into a special pocket in his burial shroud. The first key was for the coffin lid, and the second was for the lock on the tomb door. Pretty thorough. Probably the most well-known safety coffin was designed by Dr. Johann Gottfried Taberger in 1829. According to the Australian Museum, this coffin was specifically designed to alert the cemetery watchman. It included a bell that remained above ground and was attached to the head, feet, and hands of the body inside the coffin. There was a case around the bell to prevent it from being accidentally set off by birds or wind, and the tube which the ropes were funneled through was designed to prevent rainwater from soaking the corpse. The tube also had a built-in layer of mesh to keep out insects and other creepy crawlies. The idea was that if you woke up in your grave, the bell would sound, the watchman would come running, and immediately insert a second tube at the foot of the coffin, through which fresh air would be pumped in with a bellows. 
this was a good idea. But unfortunately, natural decomposition processes, including bloating, could cause the corpse to shift in its coffin and sound the bell for a false alarm. As the years went on, more complicated designs were patented. According to Smithsonian Magazine, one of these was patent number 329,495, granted to inventors Charles Seeler and Frederick Borntrager for a, quote, burial casket on November 3rd, 1885. This one had a clockwork-driven fan that was triggered by motion, which forced fresh, breathable air into the coffin instead of a passive air pipe. It also had a battery-powered alarm, and the patent states that when the hand of the person inside was moved, the exposed part of the wire would come in contact with the body, completing the circuit between the alarm and the ground to the body in the coffin, triggering the alarm. That is so clever. There was also a spring-loaded rod in the design, which would raise up a signal, like a flag, alerting others in the cemetery. There was a tube positioned over the face of the buried body, which would allow a lamp to be lowered down, so someone looking down on the corpse from above could see the face of the body in the coffin. This was definitely one of the more complicated safety coffin patents I found. But how were these safety coffins tested out, you may be wondering. Well, according to the Australian Museum, one guy named Dr. Adolf Gutsmuth of Seehausen, Germany, actually tested out his own safety coffin in 1822. He had himself buried alive inside of it, and stayed underground in his own coffin for several hours while he had a meal of soup, beer, and sausages served to him through the coffin's feeding tube. That is confidence. According again to the Australian Museum, several designs of safety coffins were in fact built and sold, but there isn't much evidence to suggest that anyone was ever actually buried in one, or rescued from one. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Many of them, as complicated and thought out as they were, had enough flaws to suggest that they would not have been likely to have worked as intended. And that is a bummer, because I would love to find a reliable source with evidence that someone, somewhere, in some century past, was rescued out of one of these safety coffins. Though we don't have much, if any, evidence that anyone was saved by a safety coffin, we do have some sources that tell us about the darker side of being buried alive. Stories of close calls, lucky escapes, and rescues that, unfortunately, would sometimes come much too late. Tune in next time for some eerie true tales of the unfortunate ones who really did find themselves buried alive. That does it for part one of the Once Dead, Buried Twice miniseries. Next time, we will finish up with some more spooky history. That will be ready for you in three weeks, dropping on October 21st. Until then, you can get a hold of me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing wherever you listen, or tell a friend that they need to know more about death tests and safety coffins. 
You can support the show if you're able for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. Huge thank you to Lauren Anthony for becoming the very first $5 patron. You are awesome. You can also make a one-time donation for any amount you'd like. Again, that link can be found under the support tab at historycashpodcast.podbean.com. I'm an independent podcaster, so anything you do, even just telling a friend about the podcast, is humongously appreciated. Sound effects and music for today were licensed through Envato Elements. Stay safe out there, stay spooky, and stay healthy, friends. I'll see you again in three weeks with another piece of history better and spookier than fiction. Until we meet again, my dear wandering stars of podcast land, go make some history.